claim to be your friend is going to betray you. And that will end up with your life being lost. The thing is, is you know they're going to betray you. And it's time to eat. And you come face to face with them. Someone that you have loved. Someone that you have served. Someone that you have been generous and kind to for a long period of time. And some of you here know what it's like to be betrayed by a spouse or a family member or a parent or a child or a co-worker or a friend or a business partner. And this is the backdrop betrayal in the passage we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. As we continue this series in the book of John, written under the inspiration of the Spirit by Jesus' best friend, John. And we're looking to how we can cultivate that kind of a relationship with Jesus. A best friend kind of relationship. And we're going to discover in this chapter, in a fuller sense, exactly what it means that Jesus loves us. And we're going to see this incredible intersection in this passage of Scripture between the most terrific person in the history of the world and the most tragic story of a person in the history of the world, Judas Iscariot. So let's begin reading and working through this passage together. In verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. It's in the last week before he goes to the cross. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And this is our theme this morning, the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And so Judas had entered into a pact with Satan. And we know from other places in Scripture that he would sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And there's some debate about how much money that is in today's terms. It's, you know, ranging anywhere from $100 to $2,000 but most would land on a few hundred bucks in today's dollars. And it sort of asks us the question, what would I exchange my relationship with Jesus for? Would I do it for sex? Would I do it for money? Would I do it for fame? Would I do it for power? Would I do it for glory? Would I do it for comfort? Would I do it for independence? Judas did it for a few hundred bucks, give or take. And in this same verse, it says in this chapter twice that Judas was the son of Simon. And this is interesting because this is the only time this guy Simon is mentioned in the scriptures. And it's 
mentioned in reference to his son betraying Jesus. And I was thinking about that as a parent, and I know I have young adult children, but as a parent, one of the things, one of the calls on our life is a regular prayer life that I would not raise a child that would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And I understand that every person, every child makes their own choices and that we can't control their choices per se. But more important than getting your kid on time to his hockey practice or going to hockey or making sure that they wear their gloves to school or have a healthy lunch or any of those things, way more important than that is to pray for them to model for them the things of Jesus Christ, to invest in their life, and to help shape the life of Jesus in their life. Let's continue reading the rest of the verses we're going to look at today, 3 through 21. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before this happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. So let's spend some time with Judas and then with Jesus and then with Peter, the characters in this passage of Scripture. Judas appears about 20 times in the New Testament. Normally he appears 
in a listing of the 12 apostles. And when he's in those listings, he's always listed last. And they do this in Scripture on purpose. He's considered the least important. Peter was always listed first because he's considered the most important. And so the leader is always listed first. This is an important thing to understand about Scripture. They do this on purpose. So let me ask you, let's just ask you some rhetorical questions. Was Jesus a good friend to Judas? Absolutely. Did Jesus serve Judas? Yes, he did. Did Jesus love Judas? Absolutely. Did Jesus give Judas, and we're going to discover this again today, chance after chance after chance? He gave him untold number of chances. Was Judas there when Jesus preached his sermons and performed his miracles? He was an eyewitness to all of these things. Judas Iscariot had a privileged seat in the most important events unfolding in the history of the world. He was a personal witness. He was interactive. He could ask questions of Jesus, and he was part of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And yet, he betrays Jesus. And he doesn't just do that. There's a curious reference in verse 18. You might have noticed it. Jesus says, and he, he's, you know, he's raising his foot up to me. What does that mean? It's kind of a weird expression. One that we wouldn't use in our culture. In the Middle East... I was there a few years ago, and I was really tired. I'd been walking all day, and it was hot, and I sat down actually right in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Old Jerusalem, and I was right across from the sepulchre, maybe 15 feet away from it. There's a bench, and I sat down, and there was quite a few people milling around, and without thinking, and I knew better, I, wasn't, I was tired, I sat down and I crossed my legs in a way that men often do so that your heel and the bottom of your foot is exposed. And one of the Assyrian priests came over and started screaming at me. He was really angry. And I realized what I'd done. And I put my foot down and I apologized to him. And he kept screaming at me. I finally told him to calm down. But I felt really bad. But in that culture, to show the bottom of your foot and your heel to someone, is like a really inappropriate hand gesture or two that we do in our culture. And so Jesus is saying, not only is he going to betray me, but he's insulting me as well. And Judas adds insult to injury. Is there anything in me? I think this is a good question to ask ourselves. Is there anything in me that is prone in any way to follow the example of Judas. Jesus, please save me from myself. You know that Jesus not only saves us, this is so cool, he not only saves us from hell, he saves us from ourselves. So what are some lessons from Judas? Just some quick lessons from Judas. Sometimes we bear no responsibility for the person that betrays, wrecks their life, and shipwrecks their faith. 
You know, some of you here know exactly what it's like to love someone like Jesus loved Judas and yet see that person self-destruct and implode. And you want to help them. You desperately want to help them, but they won't let you. And of course, if that happens, I think it's entirely reasonable to ask ourselves, is there anything else I could have done? But if the Holy Spirit specifically, and I pick that word very carefully, because it's never general, it's never vague, if the Holy Spirit specifically convicts you of how we actually contributed to that person's downfall, then it's time to say, I did do this, and I need to repent of this, and I, I ask God to forgive me for this, and then move forward. But if the Spirit does not specifically convict us of something, we're carrying a burden regarding that person that God never intended for us to carry. So I just want to release you, if there's a person like that in your life, I just release you from that burden. In the case of the Spirit-filled Jesus and Judas, there's nothing that's been left on the table. Everything that could have been done for Judas was done. Secondly, from the life of Judas, sitting under good Bible teaching is not enough. You have to believe. You have to allow it to impact your life and change your life because if it doesn't impact your life and if it doesn't change your life, you actually really don't believe it. And for three years, Judas sat at the feet of the best Bible teacher, the best teacher, I would suggest, in the history of the world. Thousands upon thousands of people captivated by this guy would sit all day to listen to him. Everybody turned and said, this guy teaches like no one we've ever heard. And so for three years, Judas goes to the university of Jesus Christ. And he has him as a personal tutor. He can ask him any question he wants. He eats with Jesus. He spends time with Jesus. He sees Jesus model the stuff, but he never believed it. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word of God and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You know, we live, and as you all know, in an era where we're just incredibly privileged. You can listen uh, to any number of podcasts you want, and you can hear the greatest speakers and preachers in the world just by picking up your smartphone. And in fact, I would suggest in many ways, I think we're completely overloaded with information. But if you don't obey, you're deceived. I'm just going to listen to another good talk. And someone carefully exegetes the scripture and presents it very powerfully. But if you don't obey, James says, you're deceived. Jesus is not at all interested in just imparting information. He's looking for transformation. And so he gives Judas chance after chance, after chance. It just blows me away whenever I read this passage. Even though he knew what Judas was going to do. Let's just talk for a couple minutes about the ways he gives him chances. One of the things, not only does he let him be part of his small group of 12 people, 
as I just said. He puts him in a position of trust in that place. He said, you're going to be the one that cares for the ministry funds. And usually if there's anyone you trust, it's the person you entrust with the cash, right? And they didn't have an accounting system like us. He entrusted Judas with the money for the entire group, the ministry fund. And really by doing that, he's giving him a vote of confidence, even though he knew what was going on, even though he knew that Judas was stealing from the kitty. And we can read about that somewhere else in, in the Gospels. We also know, as we read in this passage a couple, three times, he openly warns them all, and Judas know, knew who he was talking about. One of you is going to betray me. And that would have cut right to the heart of Judas. And then finally, in one of the, the coolest things that you see in this passage, that just overwhelms me every time I read this, about the mercy and the grace and the patience of God. You read, if you keep reading in this passage, after verse 21, they are together at the time of Passover, and it's a more formalized time of having a meal together. And Judas and the, the twelve are with Jesus, and they're having this meal together, and Jesus says, one of you, he says in verse 18, is going to betray me. And he says it again in verse 21. And all the disciples are looking around and they're thinking to themselves, who is, is it me? Is it, is it you? Who is it? And as they're eating together, they ate in a, in a different way than we do. They would have been in a U-shaped pattern, which was typical. And they sat, not like we sit in chairs, but at low tables. And there would be three to a table. And there would be cushions, and they would lean on their left arm, and they ate with their right hand, because you never ate with your left hand. And then your feet were out behind you. And when Jesus makes this announcement, Peter turns to John, because it references him as the one that Jesus loved, Jesus' best friend, and he says, ask him, who is going to betray us? And the passage, if you keep reading, says, John leaned back. In other words, he was on John, Jesus' right side at the three-person table. He leaned back, and he asked Jesus, who's going to betray? And Jesus says, the guy that I dip my bread and give a piece to. And so just imagine this with me. I'm, this is a guess here based on the text. But I'm assuming that John is here and Jesus takes the bread with his right hand and hands it to the person beside him, the person on his left, which was Judas. This is very significant because in that culture, the person that you put behind you to guard your back was the person you're saying that you trusted. This is no accident. They didn't sit willy-nilly in those days. It was very coordinated and fashioned. And to have Judas at his back like that, he was making a big statement one more time to Judas. It's not too late, buddy. Now somebody says, well, what if, what if Judas hadn't gone through with this? I don't know. God would have figured it out. That's not my call. That's his. But I just know Jesus gave this guy chance after chance 
after chance, just like he does with every human being. I think when we stand before Jesus, we will be shocked how many times he gave us chances to be right with him and to be in healthy relationship with him. But Judas did not love Jesus. And I'm assuming that he was just in this situation because he thought, you know, Jesus has this messianic call on his life and I want to attach myself to this power grab when Israel comes to the place of prominence. And when he could see that things were not going according to plan, that things were going south, he thought to himself, I need to cash in on this and then I need to position myself as the one that informs on him so that when Jesus and the disciples are killed, I won't be killed with them. Which leads us to the next point. In the church, there's a parable like this. In the church, there's both weeds and wheat. And what that parable is telling us, and we see illustrated here, is that Judas faked his salvation. Well, he went to church every week. Jesus went to church every week and served. He went to church every week. He learned his Bible. He listened to the talks from Jesus. He probably asked questions at points. He said the right things. He was in relationship with godly people all the time for these three years, and yet he faked it all. And this is a real serious question. Have I sincerely surrendered to Christ? Do I legitimately love him? Have I repented of my sin? Is he my Lord? Is he in charge of my life? Or am I just saying what people want to hear and I'm faking it to fit in? Now, none of us can make that decision or know the answer to that decision ultimately for anyone. That's between you and Jesus. But that's a serious question to ask yourself. Then there's some lessons from Jesus. And the first one is that love is sometimes an emotion, but it's always an action. Love is sometimes an emotion, but always an action. Sometimes you'll feel it, but you will always do it. And if you do it, as we see so often in Scripture, if you do the right thing, usually emotions end up catching up. Not always, but often. And so it says in, in verse 1 and verses 4 and 5 that he loved them. And he demonstrated in this chapter and in the days to come the full extent of his love. And the full extent of his love was expressed in the fact that he served them. And he does what no one else is willing to do. And just as Katie read earlier in the service from Philippians chapter 2, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that, it, that he humbled himself. He spe it speaks of his humility, that Jesus lived in glory, that he is eternal God, that he is seated on a throne, that he is served by angels, and yet he humbled himself and entered into humanity. And he steps off his throne and he comes to earth. And this is a, an incredible display of humility. 
And then at the dinner itself here in John chapter 13, with his disciples, he lowers himself again. And he gets down on his knees and he does what no one else in that culture would willingly do. He takes on the lowest job given to the lowest ranking slave in the home, which was the washing of feet. And these were in the days of the Pax Romana, which is just a way of saving the Roman peace. And one of the things they did in their empire is they created a vast network of roads, and people would walk from place to place on the roads, and it was very dirty, and it was, it was dirt, and there was dung, as you would walk, as all the animals were on the roads as well. And so you might have had a bath, but your feet would be disgusting as you walked on the road. And when you came into a person's house, a slave would wash your feet. And the disciples are too proud to do this. But Jesus is humble enough to do it. And this is absolutely one of the reasons, one of many reasons, I know that this is true. That we know that the Bible is not just some ordinary book. It's a supernaturally inspired book. A standalone book in all the world. Because there's no one that could ever, no one that ever has conceived of a humble serving God. Think in history and think right now of the many gods that people worship in history and right now. There's many gods in our culture and around the world that people worship. No one could conceive of a humble serving God like that. You don't see any other gods like that in our culture and in our world. A God who not only makes the earth and all of the universe and sustains all that and then creates humanity and then enters into, sorry, he creates humanity and then he allows humanity to betray him. And then he enters into humanity. And he walks with humanity, not carried like all the kings we read about or see on TV. And then he goes to a dinner here in John chapter 13 with the people that he has been the master, the rabbi to, who are too proud to do the job of a slave. And he gets down and he washes their feet. And he not only washes their feet, he washes the feet of the person who was going to betray him. No one... No one could make up a story like that. Totally illogical. And Jesus says, I have good news. I loved my enemies back then, and I still love you now. And I still invite my enemies to be my friend. And someone says, but Scott, my needs... My needs are incredible. And God says, and Jesus says, I will serve you. And someone says, the stuff I've done is really embarrassing and disgusting. And Jesus says, I'm willing to serve you. And so Jesus got down on the floor for Judas, and he got up on the cross for you. Then secondly, Jesus makes us clean. Peter says in verse 6, well, are you, uh, 
Are you thinking about washing my feet, Jesus? And Jesus says, absolutely, you have no part of me if you don't. And in fact, he says to him in verse 7, Peter, you know, it's just basically it's time to be quiet because you don't get it. You'll get it later. And this is probably a good moment to listen to Jesus. But of course, Peter doesn't. And he speaks up again. And the thing about Peter, he's, you know, he always gets it right the second time. Usually for me, it's the fourth or fifth time. But Peter always gets it right the second time. And so Jesus is saying, I've come to serve you. I've come to make you clean. And, and Peter says, no way. Because he's expressing what every human being thinks. I've got to earn this myself. Or we think to ourselves, I'm really humble because I serve other people. But in our heart, we're actually too proud to be served, to serve, be served by someone else. But Jesus is saying humility is not just serving, it's being humble enough to be served. And so when Peter finally figures that out, he goes, oh, well, well, if that's the case, then go ahead and wash, you know, wash me all over, wash my hands and my head as well. And I thought to myself as I was reading that in verse 9, how many of us say to Jesus, you know, he wants to serve us and we say no. And then we reconsider and we say, okay. But then we say to him, okay, Jesus, I guess it's all right if you serve me, but I want you to do it in the way I stipulate and on my terms. Because this is what Peter is saying. But in verses 10 and 11, we see that there's hope for Peter and there's hope for us. So what about some lessons from Peter? The thing about Peter is Peter is overt and Judas is covert. And with Peter, you always know what he's thinking. You know, he's really impetuous, he's sort of rash, but you always know what he's thinking. But with Judas, you never knew what he was thinking. And I think that if you had sat down when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. If you had pulled the disciples right then and asked them, who do you think is going to betray Jesus? I'm guessing that quite a few of them would have said, well, I guess it's probably going to be Peter because he shoots off his mouth all the time and does things and goes off half-cocked. But Judas, not a chance. Judas has never done anything or said anything even remotely, overtly offside. And some of us are like that. We have secret lives and secret sins and secret plots that won't come clean and we need to be caught. And the ironic thing is Judas thought he was putting one over on Jesus and Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. There's hope. I might, I might word it this way. There's more hope, I think, for those that are overt than those that are covert. Because an overt person just kind of spews it all out. And it's all out there. And you kind of go, okay, we can work with that. You know, it's kind of bumpy, it's kind of messy, but we can work with that. But the covert person, like Judas says, you will not know who I am. 
You will not know where I'm at. I'm sneaky, I'm deceptive, and I'm dishonest. And it's really tough to get the help you need when you won't even admit there's a problem. And next, this is something I think I mentioned seven or eight weeks ago, but I'll mention again. The want to precedes the how to. We see this in the life of Peter. The want to precedes the how to. So Jesus says to Peter, he says, I will make you clean. And Peter says, I want to be clean. He doesn't know how, but he wants to be clean. He just doesn't know how, but he's ready to receive all that Jesus wants to offer. And, you know, sometimes people will come to me and, you know, they'll say something like this, for example. They might say, well, you know, um, there's problems in my relationship with my spouse. And they might say, but, but, but Scott, I really want to love my wife. Well, you can work with that. When that's their hard attitude, I really want to love my wife. You can work with that. But if they don't have that heart desire, if it's all about blaming the other person or finding an excuse for their actions, you can talk till you're blue in the face about the how-to, and it will mean nothing to them. So let me just say, <laughs> thanks for letting me teach the Bible to you. And thanks for getting up really early this morning and investing your time. Because I know time and sleep are precious commodities in our world. But here's the question. Do you want to? Do you want to? As a biblical believer, if you have a relationship with God through Christ, if you want to grow deeper in that relationship, which is just immensely nurturing, if you want to learn the Bible, if you want to forgive that person that's hurt you and, and step out of the, the bondage and the prison they've put you in because you've not forgiven them yet. If you want to live a holy life, the thing is God absolutely will help you with this. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live a holy life, to live a life of service, which empowers us to forgive those that are unforgivable. But the key question here is, do you want to? Do you want to? Most Christians know that Jesus forgives, but I think many Christians don't know that Jesus also cleanses. And so many people live Oh yeah, God's forgiven me, but I still feel condemned. I still feel guilty. The Bible actually uses about 12 different words that are translated from the original languages to describe this. And so there's words like defilement, you feel defiled, or you feel dirty, or you feel unclean, or you feel ashamed, or guilty, all words to describe this sense of condemnation. And, and so people feel guilty or, or ashamed 
typically for one of two reasons. Either one, because we've made sinful, inappropriate choices that we know we shouldn't have done or we didn't do the thing we knew we should. So we make these personal choices. Or someone we know has come and done something horrible to us and we were innocent in in it all and this was perpetrated on us. And we know that when we sin, Jesus will forgive. Or when someone has sinned against us, we can forgive with God's help. But sometimes we still feel unclean and condemned and ashamed and guilty. And this is Peter's problem. He thought he had to clean himself. And Jesus is saying in this passage and demonstrating in this passage with this powerful word picture, I will cleanse. I not only forgive sins, I remove condemnation. I will take that false identity that you either sort of manufactured within yourself or someone laid on top of you. I'll take that false identity off of you and I will take off of you the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. You know, the same author, John, uh, wrote other books of the Bible and in, in one of his other books, he writes this incredibly powerful statement that many of you will be familiar with. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's saying that Jesus the risen Christ, will forgive us of our sins if we own them. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then the last little part of the verse is, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus not only forgives, but he cleanses us. And if you belong to Jesus, you are not forgiven and dirty You are forgiven and clean. I'd like us to bow together in prayer for a moment. We're going to conclude our service, and and I would like to just pray on your behalf, because maybe this is something you have still wrestled with, this idea that I'm forgiven and yet I'm dirty, but in reality you're forgiven and clean. And so I would just invite you as we close here to receive this prayer and claim this truth in your life. Let's pray. I remind you as as I pray that if you'd like to come and pray with someone about anything, as the service concludes, Carl and Amethyst will be up here to my right, your left. They'd be honored to pray with you. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that these biblical truths, that you would make them a living reality in the hearts of the people that have heard this, in my heart, in each person's heart. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would reveal to each person here the place or places where, if this is the case, we've carried guilt or shame or condemnation or defilement, that you would point those out very specifically, as you always do. It's never vague. It's never general. 
I pray that you would bring those to mind right now. Those things that are inappropriately holding your children back. Those things that they have done or that someone else has done to them. And I just bring these things into your presence, Lord Jesus. I invite you, based on your finished work on the cross, to bring healing in each person's life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would unburden them, that you would lift that off of them, that you would remove that false identity, that inappropriate shame, that you would encourage them, that you would refresh them, that you would bring full health into their life. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would apply uh, the glorious work of the Lord Jesus in their life. And so, Lord, I pray for clean, clean relationship with you, clean marriages, clean internet searches, clean business dealings, a purified life, a fresh start that's, that's joyful, that's hopeful. And I pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're dismissed.